Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm supposed to take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value came in, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate. And I run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. A lot. He's got a level of poise. Okay, we got uh, episode number 333 with Jeremy Boring. Let me properly introduce who this man is. He's, he's kind of a big deal in his world. Jeremy Boring is the co-founder and co-CEO of The Daily Wire and the host of popular podcast Daily Wire Backstage featuring Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin, and Michael Knowles. Boring's passes in political media including uh, includes founding, uh, along with Shapiro, the conservative news and commentary website Truth Vol- Revolt, uh, serving as executive director of Friends of Abe, a fellowship of conservative working in the entertainment industry, and founding Declaration Entertainment, where he wrote and uh, directed the feature film The Arroyo, a modern Western set against the lawlessness of America's southern border. He's got a movie that just, they, they gave the release, uh, the, the trailer a couple days ago. It's got 18, 19, 20 million views already called Lady Ballers. You got to we'll watch this preview here together. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But here's the thing as well. He's like a dynamic type of guy. You know, somebody pissed him off with razors, so he goes and starts his own razor company, Jeremy, uh, uh, Jeremy's Razors. And the commercial, I've never used a razor, but the commercial is fantastic. I can tell you that. Here's the, uh, the website to Jeremy's Razor. It was phenomenal. And for some of you guys that are nuts or you're nutless, he's also got a chocolate company <laughs> that offers you those with nuts and those who are nutless. Jeremy, great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I'm going to open up with a very simple question because I think it's a challenge a lot of people are dealing with and maybe you can help uh, figure this out especially with the recent bit of a drama which will get that knocked out of the way I think it's a good story to talk about early on so you know there's this saying you cannot serve both God and money at the same time Mm -hmm. have you figured out a way to do it because billions of people are struggling with this yeah well I think that the problem with fame wealth and power is that they're highly corrosive you know if you if you attain any measure of any one of them, uh, it, it tends to separate you in some way from your humanity. And so it's a, it's a constant challenge. It's obviously a, a, a challenge that predates any of us and will be here long after. One of the things that I've noticed is the later in life those things come, the better. And the reason is because you're more of a fully formed person uh, before you come into those sort of temptations. And so, you know, you see guys, I've known a lot of them over the years, who, who achieve incredible success very, very early in life, and, and they're really arrested in that moment. You know, it's it's a it's a trauma to become successful. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to gripe about it. It's, you know, there are worse traumas to have, but it's still very traumatic when people stop telling you the truth. People start telling you the things that you want to hear. People always need something from you. They're always hopeful that they'll get something from you. So, you know, I, I'm not one to disagree with Christ and say that there uh, is some way to serve God uh, and money. What I would say instead is that um, probably what we should do is pursue success. And consider that distinct from serving money. You know, there are 
there's a constant temptation where money is involved to make it the focus of your life. I try to hang on very loosely to my success. I'm not always good at that, but I try to hang on to it very loosely to recognize that, you know, I'm not the author of all of my success. Certainly, uh, I think you can give people a lot of, of good advice about how they might achieve some success. I think there have obviously been some things in my life that allowed me to achieve some of my success. Uh, at the same time, and anyone who has success knows this, there there is fortune, there is um, providence, there is some sort of unseen hand that guides us through life. People who made the same choices that we made, people who face the same circumstances that we made and end up with a slightly different or sometimes radically different outcome. So I don't think it does well to serve money. I don't think it does well to hang on too tightly to your successes. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this and then I'll move on. When, you know, I, I spent 20 years in LA from the time I was just a kid, really. Where in the know, valley? 20. I heard you say valley. Where'd you live in the valley? Uh, Studio City, Sherman Oaks. Okay. Yeah. Got my it. my Got entire it. two decades out there. Uh, and at one point, my wife and I wanted to buy a house. And, you know, it's a big deal to buy a house in LA, especially when you're uh, on the younger side because houses out there are incredibly expensive. Yeah. You know, I guess now they're expensive everywhere, but back then it was sort of a unique thing about the big city. And I told my wife, you know, I think that we have the money. We can make this down payment. We'll be able to, to service the debt. And we didn't know a lot of people who, who owned houses at that time, except people who we were friends with who were very, very, very successful. We were not. And my wife said, you know, what if we, what if something changes and we lose the house? And I said, oh, well, we'll move back into an apartment. I, I don't understand the question. She said, yeah, but people will see that we sort of reached and then it'll be embarrassing mm. that we failed. And I said, well, I'm not going to be judged by the people who never moved out of an apartment <laughs> if I have to move back into an apartment. Like that's just, I think that that's kind of the innate thing that entrepreneurs have is a, a willingness to sort of face the humiliation of failure, mm -hmm. uh, to, to see value and virtue in failure. You know, I'm the product of many, many, many failures. One of my great goals in life is to make a billion dollar mistake someday. Uh, <laughs> I think that failures make us who we are. That, that is, I think, the difference between people who serve money and people who understand the value of money, I'm, I'm not ashamed to have some. I'm not ashamed to pursue success. But I hang on to it lightly. If I have to move back into an apartment, I'll move back into an apartment. I want, I want to stay on that. But the reason why I asked that question was because of what uh, uh, Candace Owens tweeted out. So I wanted to kind of get mm. right into the uh, uh, feud between Candace and, and uh, uh, Ben. And it was pretty public, obviously, with the Israel challenge taking place. You know, these guys going back and forth. He's got strong positions where he's at, and you, you know, she has strong positions where she's at. And Candace is not one that's going to sit there and be quiet about it. But, you know, how do you, as a CEO of a company with all this different talent that you guys have, first of all, you have Jordan Peterson with mm -hmm. Baby Wire, okay? You got uh, Matt Walsh. What is a woman? I think he may have figured out the answer to the question by the time he was done with the documentary. It was a very interesting process. It was an expensive journey. To get <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, you got Candace Owens, okay? You got your business partner, but also talent because he's not the operator. You're the mm -hmm. operator, Ben Shapiro. And you got a few other guys there as well. Um, but how do you manage when you have two of the loudest voices in this sphere going at each other on the same team? And, you know, if you want to leave, you can quit. How do you manage all of that? Yeah, well, poorly, apparently, because it really spilled over uh, into a public dispute. Which I think, you know, obviously we'd all prefer that that not have happened in the way that it did. Uh, but I pay people to talk for a living. I pay people to have opinions. And you're going to occasionally have conflict when you allow people a lot of latitude to say what they believe. And, you know, I think to Ben's great credit, uh, I can't think of any other talent who has started a company that empowers more people 
to say what they believe without having to agree with them. You know, Ben is perhaps the most famous uh, Orthodox Jew in America, and yet he empowers Christians on his platform to not not just be Christians and have a platform, but to be very uh, forward-facing with their beliefs on that platform. That's you know, that's to Ben's credit. Ben allows people who disagree with him on economics. Ben allows people who disagree with him on foreign policy. He gives them all very broad latitude to say the things that they believe. To your point, he's not running the day-to-day operations, but that philosophy of what the Daily Wire will be and how it will empower its talent to have their own opinions is something that Ben and, and our business partner, Caleb, and I you know, instilled in the company from the very beginning. Uh, and so you know, nothing that took place in this conflict limited anyone's ability to say the things that they think. When you have very opinionated people on different sides of an issue, sometimes those clashes are going to become more front-facing. As you say, Candace isn't one to back down. Ben's not one to back down either. Uh, and so we found ourselves in kind of a, uh, a little bit of an ugly situation, and, and it seems like it's calmed down now. Do, do you, when that happens, do you immediately call a meeting and call a Zoom and, guys, let's just get on a call and try to hash this out? Is that the approach, or you kind of let it fizzle out and, you know, have them deal direct with each other? Yeah, depends on who's involved, I suppose. You know, some people take criticism better than others, and, and also sometimes, you know, it's the nature of conservatives that were somewhat reactionary. And so sometimes going directly at the problem isn't the best way in that situation to come to a uh, to come to a consensus. You don't want people to feel like you're boxing them in. You don't want them to feel like you're trying to force them to back down when what they do for a living is never back down. So I think it's, you know, it's delicate. This one was particularly delicate, uh, delicate to manage. But, you know, I was actually out of the country you know, producing a film series that we're doing called The Pendragon Cycle. My business partner, Caleb, was flying this one far more directly than I was. And yeah, he got on the phone with, with both parties and you know, didn't... Uh, tell them what they had to do, but made some suggestions about what might be helpful. And uh, and I think that they both found their way back from the brink a little bit. Fantastic. That's that's yeah. good to hear. Uh, it, it, the, the question I got for you is, you know, for someone who's a, a right brain, I get a feeling you're fully right brain, but you also got left brain. You know, you seem to be creative, but you're also an operator. How do you, as a creative, hmm. go from a creative meeting where you're trying to come up with ideas and you got the sensitivities of all the creative quality and, you know, here's what I think we should do and what about this and what about that and what about this and the shutdown and, that and what about this and what about that and what about this and all of a sudden, okay, so seven steps, here's what we got. We got to hire this person, call that person, get this person, get the production, what's the budget, what's the... How do you manage between... I mean, this movie I watched the trailer to, you're doing a phenomenal job acting in it. It's actually... It didn't feel like you... It felt like uh, I'm watching... I don't know, horrible bosses. And it's, you know, just a bunch of actors doing what they're doing to make you laugh. How do you manage your right brain and the left brain and know when to compartmentalize? Yeah, well, there is a lot of conflict between the two. And I find that it's very difficult. I can go from operating in the morning to being creative in the afternoon. I have a very difficult time going back the other direction. So some of it is how I structure my day, how I how I approach scheduling meetings and, and the order of operations. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, being a, a writer, being a producer, it's really, it's really the same job. You're trying to make something out of nothing. So anyone who's quite often people from my, my time in Hollywood will say, I, I don't understand how you went from this to being in business. You know, don't you miss the creative side? And I'm like, well, I've created. 
hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of value. I've created hundreds and hundreds of jobs. I've created, you know, podcasts and created uh, websites and commercials. You know, it it is an expression of my creative self to have built this business. I think anybody involved in business can probably relate to that. Then there are obviously distinctions. You have to be much more practical, obviously, when you're operating than when you're conceptualizing. The other thing is hire great operators. You know, in the early days of the company. <clears throat> I was very hands-on in every aspect of the operation. I think that's probably true for most people who start something. Over time, you have to replace yourself. And I think you always have to replace yourself at the point that you're the best instead of trying to replace yourself. You know, it's hard to ever learn to replace yourself in business. And the first mistake that you make is to actually hire people who only do the things you're not good at. And that's good in as much as, sure, you're eliminating some of, the, some of your own deficiencies, but your business can't grow if you're only replacing the things that you're bad at. You ultimately have to replace all the things that you're good at. And over time, you replace things that you're good at with people who become better at those things. We have great operators in our company now. Our, our, uh, the, the woman who operates our e-commerce business, the razor company, the chocolate company, you know, she's best in class, as good as it gets. Our COO, John Lewis, absolutely best in class, as good as it gets. Those guys have empowered me, I think, to be able to put more and more of my time into these creative efforts. The creative efforts really aren't wish fulfillment either. You know, I've enjoyed this time making these movies. I've enjoyed being overseas. I don't want to do it again next year. I want to find somebody better than me, have them go replace me in that aspect as well, and I can get back to thinking about what's next for the business. Got it. So, so for you, uh, uh, let me let me stay on this. And, and um, so, do you see yourself more as a uh, you specifically? Because when I when I listen to you, the times that I watch you, you know, you're not as much creating content as the other guys are. Hmm. The other guys are creating a lot of content, so there's a lot more content to see of them. You, you're, you create content, but it, it's, it's, it comes here and there. I would assume you're operating company and your strategy and all this up behind closed doors. Everybody has somebody they, they view themselves as. Do you view yourself as, you said, I want one day to be able to make a billion-dollar mistake. To make a billion-dollar mistake, you have, to, you have to be 25 billion you know, 20 to $50 billion plus upwards, close to even $100 billion to be able to make a billion-dollar mistake and afford it and not go out of business. So do you see yourself more as a Murdoch, modern day? Is that what you want to be? Do you see yourself as one being a Disney, Walt Disney? Do you see yourself as a Ted Turner? Uh, who, who do you see yourself as? And, and by the way, I don't even know if I'm going to get the answer to this question, you know, because sometimes you have to keep these things close to yourself. But who do you view yourself as? You know, it's funny. I... In all sincerity, I've never asked myself that question. You know, there are certainly people who I see as influential in my life, or people who I look up to, but but I've never really tried to model my life after after anyone. You know, one of the I'm sort of radically Protestant, and I think that one one component of being a Protestant uh, is that you you don't fully ever buy that any person is necessarily uh, superior, right? You you it, there's this sort of democratization that happens in a Protestant mindset. It's not to say that people don't do better, not to say that people don't do worse, not to say that people don't have skills or talents or even innate abilities, you know, IQ. Ben Shapiro has an IQ I don't have. That's a hard lesson to learn in life. We all think we're the... It's easy to say, yeah, uh, LeBron James is much taller than I am. He's going to be better at basketball. Now, that's a cop-out, but that's a... At least it's a cop-out that we can all commonly uh, accept. Very difficult to ever admit that someone's just smarter than you. Yeah. And they're not just smarter than you because they've read the books. They're smarter than you, even if you read the books, yeah. right? They have, <laughs> they have actual. They see patterns you don't see, right? They have capabilities you yes. don't have, uh, and so 
I'm not denying any of that. Yeah. But I am saying that no one's <clears throat> no one is fundamentally innately better. So instead, I look at people and think, what can I learn? You know, what can I what can I model? What can't I model? Uh, and and just try to be my own guy. Try to put one foot in front of the other. So who's your enemy? Do you have an enemy? Like, do you have at least because. Drive doesn't come naturally. Drive is, is it, it has to be inspired. You know, uh, the, the three things that causes somebody to be hardcore driven, in my opinion, is if they've experienced unconditional love from one person, okay, could be a mom, mm -hmm. but for you to know that that exists, okay, and, you know, you're willing to risk loving another woman because maybe one day she's going to love you the way your mom loved you, right, mm. or father loved you. Number two is unconditional pain from somebody you love, meaning you could never do anything to win that person over, no matter what you do. You can make billions. You can make millions. You can be strong, fight, celebrity, famous, billions of followers. You're never going to win that person over. That approval you're not going to get. You need that. that. That element is needed as well. And the last one is to choose the right enemies. You know, Choose mm. the enemies wisely that drive the hell out of you. Sometimes you choose them. Sometimes they choose you. But for you, who would you say is your enemy and who is Daily Wire's enemy? Well, that's interesting. You know, I think that I probably fit, and I'm sure that in your experience, I've never contemplated this, this in this framework before, but I probably have a little bit of all three of those uh, aspects of my life. If I were going to identify more strongly with one, it would be the second one, the, the desire to be loved from someone from whom you could not gain the love. And part of whatever wisdom... I've managed to get, and I don't claim much, in life is the realization that that person doesn't exist, that the, because the person from whom you wanted the love obviously doesn't exist or you would have gained it. And so in some ways, you've, you've taken a person who does exist, and you've superimposed onto them the person that you wish existed. And that's a real, that's a painful lesson because it tells you something about yourself, that you're not functioning in reality, uh, that you that you don't meet people where they are, that you need something from someone that they're incapable of giving you, um, that even if you could somehow get it, you still wouldn't have it because it would require fundamentally destroying the thing that actually exists in favor of the thing that doesn't. But sure, I got enemies too, bud. You know, you, you want to tell us a couple of them. Uh, I would say that you know some of our some of my enemies have chosen me. You know, I had the I went to Hollywood with a set of loosely held beliefs. I would not say that I was particularly rigid in any of my beliefs, but I got into that system where, uh, you know, it's a very one-party town. It's a very, very uh, unwelcoming place if you don't tow the company line. And it's able to be that because of the things that make Hollywood unique. You know, there's no other industry in the world where someone will go to Harvard Law and then instead of taking the $250,000 a year starting pay from all the law firms that give you an offer just because of having that credential, you go work in the mailroom at CAA for sub-minimum wage. Yep. Why, would, why would that exist? Well, it exists because people innately understand the power of entertainment. They innately understand the power of narrative, the power of story. It is more powerful than practicing law. In fact, the law exists within a narrow window created by culture. And so everybody in the mailroom at CAA or UTA or you know, Endeavor, William Morris, they, they all went to Ivy League schools. They all went to law school. They've all given all of that up to pursue something. Since you're pursuing something that cannot be attained through any guarantee, right? 
we use the term being discovered. That's a silly term, but it does speak to the improbability of success in that particular field. Well, now you truly are at the mercy of forces that are not allowed to exist anywhere else in business, right? You, you need people to choose you on the basis of things that can't easily be described. And for that reason, people have enormous power over you. And since they have such power over you, even if they are good people, that power, as I said earlier, becomes itself corrosive. And so the people who have that power are corroded by that power. They wield that power over people. Uh, and one expression of that is Harvey Weinstein, right, that you have people who take sexual advantage of other people because those people want something that you alone – you're the gatekeeper and you have power over them. But another is political and, and, and theological, that you're able to sort of demand a kind of conformity of thought from people, and they're willing to give it because of the great power that you have to stand between them and their dreams. And I have a little bit of a natural contrarian streak. I got out there, and the very fact that those things were expected of you made me reject them. And I rejected them to my detriment, and I rejected them kind of in that category, too, of what you mentioned. I wanted the approval of that system, but I wasn't willing to give the system what would be required to get that approval. There's this yin and yang happening between my uh, my desire to be loved by those who would not love me Is there a moment and my remember? contrarian. Is there a moment you remember? Yeah, well, there there are a couple that are really funny. You know, one of them is uh, I was sitting at, and, and I won't name names here, but I was sitting in one of the biggest studios with a fairly prominent actor who had a deal at that studio at the time pitching a series that we had written and, and wanted, wanted to have picked up. And it was the president. I mean, one of the most powerful guys in the business, the president of that studio took the meeting with, not because of my stature, but the stature of my partner on that project. And he had two female executives flanking him. You know, these, these are the people who develop shows. They, they make a good living. They've already flanking him or the president. Flanking the president. Got it. And they're hearing our pitch. I'm sure they all started in the mailroom. They all went to Harvard Law, you know. Flip, he's flipping through the pages. He's totally uninterested. We're doing our dog and pony show, you know, trying to get a laugh. You don't get any. And he gets to a certain page and he says, yeah, guys, th th this is fine. Uh, who's the babe? And I said, what do you mean? Who's, who's the babe? Who's going to be the babe? And I said... And again, I don't want to name names here because the story is somewhat humiliating, but I named a prominent actress uh, who, was, who was working at that time as somebody who we thought would be good for the role. And he somebody said, we would know. Somebody you would know. And he said, uh, this is live too, so I, want to, I don't want to say anything that gets you kicked off the internet. But I said, uh, how about this gal? That's, that's kind of who we were thinking. He was like, no, 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 I've already fucked her. I've, I, wow. I've already, you got to give me the gal that I want to fuck. Wow. And I was taken aback, obviously. I was a, a young guy at the time, naive. He looks over at the gal next to him, and he says, what about... And he named another somewhat prominent actress. He says, now that's a babe I want to... I mean, you, admit it, admit it. If you had it, you'd fuck her. And I thought, if this, if this were Walmart, tomorrow it would be named Stephanie Mart, or whatever the name of that yeah. female executive <laughs> for was. You know, like, she would own this entire company tomorrow. But he has... He has a power that a CEO in a widget factory does not have. He stands between her and the Fame. dream, the thing, the, the thing to which everyone in that community aspires, the thing that you know shows all the guys back in your small hometown that they were wrong about you or whatever it is, right? Of course. And so he has this 
this power and and the contrarian in me, uh, perhaps perhaps the believer in me, I recoiled against that in a way like a snake. And it was a very depressing moment because I realized uh, I am not willing to do what is necessary to get the love that I that I desire. And so you start thinking, who are my enemies? Uh, I think that my enemies are uh, the the people who try to use coercion and force to impose their view of the world uh, on other people. That That is the thing that I recoil against the most. And you feel it's a spirit that's alive in our culture right now. Sadly, it's, it's even alive on the right right now, this sort of authoritarian moment in which we live, predominantly on the left, but not, not completely foreign from the current right. Uh, I reject that. I recoil at it. I despise it. Uh, if my life is dedicated to anything, it's, it's fighting for m- the ability of me to be my authentic self, the ability of other people to be their authentic self. And I don't mean that in some sort of loose, lefty, uh, detached from reality, you should conform to my—that's just another way of using force to say you should conform to my view. That's not what I mean. Uh, I mean that you should get to be the actual you, and that, that requires coming up with other people, coming against other people's opinions of what you are, which is the thing that the left tries to keep from ever happening. You should never have to encounter anyone's uh, opinion about you. I, I, want, I want to clear all of that out of the way. Uh, th- those are the enemies that I suppose I didn't know I was going to have when I started out in life, and now I do. Then there's, you know, the people who just come at you, or the people who betray you, or the people who hurt you in some personal way, and they, they sort of become your enemy for some reason that you didn't uh, that you didn't see coming, but the the thing that I'm fighting against, I think, is is uh, I think I think coercion. You, I think you do good with that, though. I think you need it. I think your when's your birthday, by the way? What month's your oh, your February? Your February baby, February fifth. Yeah, February. Yeah, interesting. February fifth, huh? Very interesting. Okay, uh, Rob, can you pull up a uh, 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 Friends of Abe uh, 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 Wikipedia real quick? Uh, so Friends of Abe, no, you, not Weinstein. Okay, go to Friends of Abe. <laughs> so big difference. <laughs> so Harvey. Friends of Abe was a yep. support and networking group for politically conservative members of the film industry and Hollywood organization was formed in 2004 with uh, Gary Sinise. And Gary Sinise was in the movie Payback with Mel Gibson. Oh, while the boy Pease, he's, he, he's been in a lot of movies, but he's a phenomenal actor. Lieutenant Dan? He, yeah, Lieutenant Dan, uh, uh, Forrest Gump. So with this organization, you, I think for five years, are the executive director. Uh, mm-hmm. Members, uh, 2012, I mean, this thing hasn't been updated. They had uh, Pat Boone, John Voigt, Kelsey Grammer, Kevin Sorbo, Scott Bale, a bunch of other names that are a part of it. And since later withdrew from the leadership in Hollywood, producer Jeremy Boring became executive director. And at one point... Uh, I think the IRS wanted uh, a section of the organization's website that would identify its members since such access is not required by federal law. You did not, you refused to give them that access to see who it is. Now, this was for the longest time a low key underground type of a meeting where they would get to, I don't know, some uh, 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 friend's house, whether, you know, I know some of these folks, and and um, mm-hmm. I've, I've I've attended some of these meetings with uh, some folks. But um, you, when you're part of this organization, how much are they at a point right now where they're more comfortable being public about it? How much of it is at a point right now? Like I got a call who is one of your friends. Uh, uh, I won't mention his name. I'll tell you off camera. And I had a conversation with him. And I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. And you know. He calls. We have a very good 30, 45-minute conversation on a Sunday. He says, I watch you on uh, Joe on Rogan Podcast, and I saw what you wanted to do with this here. 
you know, I used to be partners with Jeremy Boring and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good. And, you know, the idea was so many of the people in that industry are afraid to come out because they don't want to give up access and they don't want to give up losing that possibility of what can happen there. Mm-hmm. How many of these guys are getting to a point right now that they really don't give a shit? And how many of the bigger, bigger names, I'm talking like big, big names, are privately talking to you guys that they just don't want anybody to know about their business. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first rule of Friends of Abe is there is no Friends of Abe. You know, I, I fought the IRS to not have to reveal the names of anybody in the organization. So, of course, I'll, uh, of course I'll maintain that. But I would say that it, it comes in waves. You know, a, a person has a breaking point. And over time, a lot of people, individuals, have had their breaking point. They're fed up. They no longer want the love of uh, the woman who won't love them. And they're willing to speak out in ways that they weren't, say, in 2012. At the same time, there's, there's a whole new batch of people that, that begin their careers during that period of time. In the, the film that we're releasing uh, on Friday, Lady Ballers, has given me a new opportunity to meet yet another batch of people working in the industry who don't want to be known, who are terrified of being found out. And I, I hate that. You know, During my time running Friend of, Friends of Abe, I would host these new member meetings, you'd have 40 people sit around a table, 20 of them would be existing members, and then they would bring a guest to initiate into the group. That was the only way you could get in. And it was, you know, it was like a recovery meeting. Everybody would go around the table, introduce themselves, and, and confess that they were conservative. And I would say that over the years, you know, even before I became executive director, I would host those meetings. Over the years, I hosted dozens and dozens and dozens. We had 2,300 members, and they all came in through this system, 20 people at a time. At a time. It was four or five times, maybe max, that someone didn't break down weeping at one of these new member meetings. You would always hear the same thing. You know, if my agent finds out I'm here, I'll never work again. If my lawyer finds out I'm here, I'll never work again. If my manager finds out, I'll never work again. Had a guy in all sincerity say, if my wife finds out Mm. what I believe, I am afraid that I will lose my marriage because the lie is so powerful out there. The, The allegiance to the lie must be absolute. People live a lie at such a deep level that their own spouse does not know their most deeply held and deeply guarded in that environment beliefs. Uh, that's, I mean, obviously it's it's a tyranny, it's evil, and it's despicable. So, yes, there are big-name people in Hollywood who've gotten fed up and come out. There are bigger-name people, you know, who have bigger things to risk. If you make $20 million a movie, $10 million a movie, that's a lot to lose if you if you stick your neck out there. And one thing that's important to me at Daily Wire, important to my partners at Daily Wire, is we make entertainment. We're aware that at most we can offer someone a job. And it's not a very good trade to give up a career for a job. Hey, come do our movie. Cool. But then I won't make any movies after that. Yeah. Uh, part of what we have to do through repeated risk-taking and, and repeated learning and repeated, hopefully, success is demonstrate over time that you can actually build a career working outside of that system. When we do that, I think the floodgates will open and you'll see a huge exodus of talent from out of the mainstream part of that business. But you have, to build, a, you have to build it first. Yeah, you have to build it first. I, and, and I kind of like that approach because your approach is going to be, look, if you want to see that happen eventually, you know, subscribe to our membership, subscribe to this, you know, help us here, help us there. We need resources to get to do this. It is like a fundraiser's way of raising capital to, you know, it's what great past. I've read a, a, 
book one time of a guy that had raised the most money for charity. He had like a record, I don't know, six, seven, eight billion dollars of money he raised. And he wrote a book, How to Be a Professional Beggar. And mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the, I don't know the exact title of the book. It's a small book, but it's one of the best books I read on that topic. And you almost have to present the argument in a way where the customer has to look at it as, look, we just made another movie. So it's not like we're taking the money and we're paying salary. We made another this. We made another this. We need more members. That relationship could work if you keep delivering with the products and services. Tom, did you did you have an experience in L.A. with, you know, uh, I think you had a question about, you know, Friends of Abe. Yeah, you know, it was very interesting. Um, I had an opportunity to turn around a small uh, mobile media company. Uh, it was called GoTV. And I a couple of people that came to work with it, they saw, wow, things will be on mobile. This is the dawn. This is right before iPhone. So there's no Android or iOS standard. There's flip phones and companies. You didn't only make content. You had to make it work on all the various different phones. And what was interesting is there was a lot of people that came there, and I met two people that were part of Friends of Abe that were like, oh, I think people know what I'm all about. And, you know, so if I was making stuff that was a little bit more conservative or not, you know, um, I, you know, I'm just going to have to deal with that. Uh, I think if you and, and this is before the crack of the whip with wokeism and how heavy people came down, you know, for the, this is 2009 to 2012. You know, what I'm saying there yeah. was there was a more subtle there's subtle cancellation there. It wasn't a slam door on your hand yet. And. I, I, I met people who were unafraid to say things, but they certainly didn't want to plant the flag in their front yard. Yep. This, is, this is the meetings you used to go to in L.A. yourself? Yep. I didn't, I didn't go to a Friends of Abe meeting, but I was introduced to two people uh, from yeah. it, and they explained what was going on, and I had great, I had, uh, great respect uh, for what they were doing and for the risk, but... It just seems so different back then because Pat, it was not the hammer. But actually, listen, I like the, I like what he's saying. First, you got to have a platform for people to feel safe to go to a different place, and then from there, pick and choose. Look what Ricky Gervais said. Ricky Gervais in his speech, he said, "I guarantee you, if ISIS started a new platform, the, you know, t- next <laughs> week, and they're giving money, where well, you would call your agent and say, hey, get me on there.' When he was calling out <laughs> yeah. Tim Cook with Apple's yeah. new uh, thing that they had out, Ricky, that the." Uh, Incredible monologue. One of the greatest monologues. I mean, I've never heard anybody like the way he hit it. Come up here. Thank you, God. Thank you, this. Yeah, and get, get the, up, you know, yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't care. I can't like, this will be the last time I ever did. And by the way, he said this. This will be the last time I'll ever do it. And they bring it back five times. I don't know if they're going to bring it back after this one here. Rob, can you play this clip of what uh, uh, the Pope uh, did, uh, Catholic Church, not Protestant, what they did, which is kind of weird. Let me read the caption first before you play the clip, if you don't mind, Rob. Uh, uh, if you just um, make it smaller like you did. There you go. What does it say there? Pope Francis had lunch with a bunch of men who think they're women. How do my Catholic friends feel about this on the heels of Francis's move to allow trans-baptism godparents? This is Rob Starbuck. Okay, go ahead and play this clip. So these are these are transgender men going where, Rob? They're going to to lunch. I think lunch with the Pope. <laughs> are they like a bunch of billionaires that are about to give no, money to the no, church, or no. what's the occasion?
Okay. Jeremy, you see something like this. What do you think about this? What do you think about, you know, somebody may say, well, you know, they just went to the event. It's not like he is sitting there directly with them. But what do you think about the position the Pope is taking with Catholics? Mm-hmm. And he's, he's commented on the LGBTQ stuff multiple times, and he's commented on socialism before multiple times. How do you process this? Well, I think it's important to start by saying I'm not Catholic. You know, I pointed out earlier that I'm radically Protestant. I, I appreciate about Catholicism uh, that it is a, a traditional foundation within a society. And you know, I think that tradition really matters. It's important to have heritage. It's important to have a connection to your heritage. One of the problems that we have in the world right now is a kind of radical individualism, which disconnects us from community. And you, you can't have a culture without a community. You can't have a nation uh, without a community. And so organizations like the Catholic Church are really important, even though I have theological disagreement with, with the Catholic Church. I don't, I don't view my role in the world as much as I, I want uh, to fight against coercion. That, that doesn't mean that I don't want there to be a common culture doesn't mean that I want to throw out everything that's allowed us. In fact, if anything, I think that part of our job in the world is to, is to build a future on the best ideas of the past. That's what separates me from being a part of the left, who wants to throw out the past as unambiguously evil and create something on the basis of nothing except fantasy and, and dream. You know, I, I want to continually per, uh, refine and, and hopefully build on the best ideas that have been passed down to us. And the Catholic Church is very important in that regard. To the extent that you know, I, I don't know what Pope Francis is trying to accomplish. It seems from, you know, I think any observer could say that this is not a conservative pope. He comes from, you know, a, a liberation theology, South American uh, kind of background. He's he's very hostile toward America and Americanism. I think that he sees the, the sort of unique American experiment as being antithetical uh, to his papacy. Um, I'm, I'm no, I would not consider myself a friend of the pope. Uh, so I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. Is he trying to make a political statement? Seems like it. Is he trying to make a theological statement about, uh, you know, how we cannot not deny grace to people simply on the basis of them being sinners? Well, if that's what he's trying to do, I, I probably agree with him. If you're if you're a saint, you don't need grace. And the entire premise of Christianity is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are redeemed through Christ alone. So to some to some degree, just watching the clip, am I unsettled by the clip? Certainly. Can I say that I wildly disagree with what the Pope is trying to accomplish? I, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish, so it's hard to say. If he's trying to in any way mainstream the behavior itself, if he's trying in any way to say this thing that you think is bad is good and now has my blessing, well, I would think that that was a really egregious and evil act. But I, I, I wouldn't from just watching. I, I don't know the story. I would not. Well, let me ask you a different that question. Let's just say let's just say you at Daily Wire are hosting a yep. uh, open event. Okay, not by invitation, but open event where I can you can I can buy tickets to attend it. Sure. And the attendance is uh, you know 500 people for a dinner. Let's just say. Sure. Would you be opposed to 50 uh, transgenders buying tickets to attend this Daily Wire dinner? Oh well, I, I may not like it, but to say would I be. Uh, opposed to it. If if I have to be responsible for my actions, if I have an open dinner and people buy tickets, then they have to be welcome at the event. That's the nature of... So, so if, okay, so if that was the case, then the media comes back and says, Jeremy Boring, CEO of the conservative company Daily Wire has yep. you know, dinner with transgenders, right? Sure. Uh, how, uh, you know, how should that person be judged? Is the market going to say, 
Hmm. The conservative is trying to cave to the left. I'm trying to be as fair to the Pope as possible because, sure, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being literally the devil's advocate of the devil's advocate, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, the, the thing about the Pope is he has one of the you know loudest microphones in the world. Mm-hmm. And my, my microphone is not nearly so loud as the Pope's, but I have a fairly prominent microphone myself. So I suppose that if the media were to come back and say, Jeremy had a dinner, and here he is having dinner with trans people— I'm more than capable of clarifying how I found myself in that position and what my beliefs are. One of the things that I think creates a lot of problems is when people engage in deliberate ambiguity. I I don't want to hide my motives. I want to be very forthright with my motives. I think that if we're, you know, I think one of the things that makes the Daily Wire successful is that we don't pander to our audience. You know, I'm a lowercase r Republican. I believe that we're supposed to represent our audience and we're supposed to lead our audience. Yeah. And there's natural tension between those two uh, premises. But in in correctly ordered in a correctly ordered approach, it's important. You know, what people think they want they, isn't actually always the thing that they do want. What people think is right in any given moment may not be right. If you pander to them, then the the obviously the criticism that's constantly thrown around about right wing media that you're a grifter. Well, it's true. If you only tell people what they want to hear so that you can make money off of them, you are, in fact, a grifter. If you tell people what you believe to be true, whether you whether they agree with you or not, well, then you're hardly a grifter. You're, you're telling the truth. Mm. I, I think The Daily Wire uniquely endeavors to accurately represent our audience, not betray the value of our audience, but also lead our audience and show them places where we have disagreement. And so if the Pope is engaged in that kind of behavior— he can make that clear. That's right. He can tell us what I he's like doing. I like that. Deliberate ambiguity. And by the way, am I reading it too much? And correct me, please. I'm not, I won't be offended. If if I'm getting a sense that you're encouraging the Pope to start a podcast, is, is that? <laughs> I think you'd call it a Popecast. Okay, Popecast. Pope I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the number one podcast in the world, according to Spotify. Passing up Joe Rogan is Popecast. You know, <laughs> he talks about his position with the, yeah. the show. It's called Deliberate Ambiguity. That's so but, funny. But it's also, it's. We can't just completely remove ourselves from people with whom we disagree. You know, the the I, I'm not trying to present some false purity to the world. Uh, I have friends who, you know, people who I care about deeply, who are on different sides of issues yeah. than I am. And I, you know, we we live in this moment where everyone wants to label you constantly. Everyone wants to f- figure out where you're impure, so that they can expose your impurities to the world. I'm like, well, it's the entire basis of my belief system is to say, oh yeah, I'm I'm impure. What do you? What's your point? About? I'm not yeah. hiding that. Yeah. So, so Jim, I want to uh, I want to ask you a question. So, it's funny you say that because we were at we were at church on Sunday, and the the main thing, the pastor's thing, was a seat at the table. So basically, it was like, you know, we have I have nothing against anybody, Jeremy. I'll talk with anybody. I love everybody. <laughs> like even those people that were at the Vatican. Okay, I don't know the motive. I understand, but I wanted to ask you with this whole phenomenon that's happening. So, first of all, one out of four high school kids uh, identifies as LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, in Ameri- uh, from 2017 to 2021, Americans' youth receiving a diagnosis of gender dysphoria has tripled in five years. Mm-hmm. Even in England, the number of girls identifying as transgender skyrocketed 4,000%, 4,000% in 10 years. Do you think it's an organic phenomenon, Jeremy, or do you think that it's like a well-thought-out, implemented, like, social engineering? What, what, is, what is happening? Why well, is this movement taking off so, so hardcore? Well, of course, it's a... As has been said by other people, it's a social contagion. Mm-hmm. It, it's a thing that can only exist in this moment of the Internet, mm-hmm. right, where 
you know, young people can, and, and you see it. I mean, it's been well documented. If there's one trans per kid in a school, suddenly there's five trans kids in the school, right? You're, you're exposing people to this idea. Mm -hmm. And the power of a social contagion is, is, can reorder civilization itself. I mean, the, the Germans imported linen into Russia during the First World War, right? Like, the, they knew, here is an idea that can bring our enemies completely to their knees, this one bad idea. If you look at your own life, especially in the West, especially in America in the West. This isn't, this isn't true. Somebody will come back and say, so you're saying people are starving to death in Africa because of a bad idea? Probably, but I'm not suggesting that they necessarily, on a personal level, would have the ability to have a better idea or, or to do anything about a better idea if they had it. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in America, in the West today, almost every problem you have in your life is a bad idea. 100%. And so the, the power of a single thought to destroy a life is um, a thought is far more powerful than a nuclear bomb. And what we have going on in our culture today is the confluence of a small handful of terrible, terrible thoughts. The past is bad. Nothing is, there's no absolute truth. Um, only the individual matters uh, in a sort of radical way. The collective exists to protect the feelings of the individual. And when you when you function in that milieu, you're you're so vulnerable to an idea like you are not what your body is. <laughs> you are something other than what you are. You are software existing in hardware. Silicon Valley thinks you can upload yourself to a computer and that somehow that continues to be you as though what you are isn't this. Mm -hmm. What you are is something ethereal, something that can't be conceived. You know, in the Christian tradition there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new body. Paul, the Apostle Paul says one day we'll be tinted in something new. Uh, but you're, you're never, you're not just a spirit occupying some hardware that can be interchanged. When, when you tell people that they are, then of course they're going to believe that they, if they're not connected to this at all, then what they truly are can only be described by them. And that's, uh, I think that's what's causing the 4,000% increase. You know, it's crazy. You said something. Um, <clears throat> he said uh, uh, the, the level of speed on how the culture changed from 2000 to, oh, 2008 to 2012. 2008, a Democrat could not win being pro-gay mm -hmm. marriage, right? Yep. And then in 2012, a Democrat could not win being anti-gay marriage. You have to be pro. What was the difference between 2008 and 2012? You talk about the whole fact that Will and Grace came out and became the top show. 15 million people are watching this and all this. other. I thought it was fascinating, the point you made. And Will and Grace got people to say, what's wrong with this? What's wrong? The power of media, right? So the Big whole time. concept of what, you know, yep. uh, uh, we're all doing here, we're, we're taking a different angle than you are. If you, do you know, if I've talked to you about this, Tom, I don't want you to say it. If you don't know it, I actually am curious to know. And Rob, don't Google this because I want you to participate as well. Do you know who produced the first Titanic? Oh, you guys are gonna have them. I'm so who produced it? Who produced the, who produced the, the, the movie or the movie Titanic? Oh, you're gonna love this, Jeremy. By the <laughs> way, you should get this. Yeah, I mean the film was produced by John Landau, right? Nope. There was one Titanic before that. Same exact thing. Hmm. But someone produced it first. Tom, do you know the answer to this or no? Do you know the answer to this? I should. Are you ready to flip out? <laughs> and you're gonna flip the F out. You ready? What if I told you? It was Adolf Hitler. What? Go type in hit. Go that, Rob. All I want you to do is what? go type in Titanic movie 1943. Watch this. 
And Vinny, you just prompted this thought. I wasn't even thinking about this. Go right there. Okay, zoom in so we can read this together. Titanic's a 1943 German propaganda film made during the World War II in Berlin by Tobis Productions for UFA, depicting the catastrophic sinking of the RMS Titanic in 1912. This was the third German language dramatization of the event uh, following a silent film release in 1912, just four months after the sinking of the British-German film. Titanic's was commissioned, bingo, by Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels with the intent of showing not only the superiority of German filmmaking, but also as a propaganda vehicle that would depict British and American capitalism as being responsible for the disaster, Mm -hmm. the addition of an entirely fictional heroic German officer, Peterson to the ship's crew was intended to demonstrate the superior bravery and selflessness of the German men as compared to British officers. The whole movie is about painting Nazi soldiers as heroes, as strong, as powerful, America and Britain as weak, and the money came from Adolf Hitler. The power of making movies can change elections, can change presidents, can cause wars, can cause new policies, can cause a lot of different things. Movies, music, if you think about it. Like like Taylor Swift doing her thing. I, I know she she wasn't she's not political, Jeremy. She did say something political during Hillary time. But I I was telling people this. Don't be surprised. She opens her mouth and tells these people her her Swifties to vote. That is such power, oh, yeah. and it influences and it changes the world. Well, listen, Stalin was heavily involved in Hollywood uh, in the 40s and 50s. It's how we ended up with Ronald Reagan. You know, he was the head of uh, SAG, and he was so opposed to the influence of. Stalin, I mean, the the people who are willing to wield tools to make you other than you are are keenly aware of the power of the tools that you take for granted. That's it. Yep. The, because they're the one looking, they're the ones looking for those weapons. And you're naively not. And so we we've, we've ceded some of the greatest, most powerful mechanisms ever created to people who are our ideological enemies because of naivety. You know, it's interesting. Some of these case studies of media are living in uh, plain sight. In the 70s, remember, uh, soap operas were very big. The afternoon, there was nothing much on except soap operas. General Hospital, Young and Restless, One Life to Live. You can go and take a look at them, take the tour of NBC, and it's like the history of the growth of the soap opera. But did you also, in terms of social contagion, do you know when soap operas would invent diseases, you would have Mm. thousands of housewives that would go to their doctor and actually we're dealing with psychosomatic symptoms that they're bringing on themselves about fictitious diseases that they saw in a soap opera. And we looked at that comically, but really that was a foreshadowing of how easily we were all right. led by media. That's the right. power of media. By the way, you know what the movie John Q did to me? The movie John Q, I don't know if you've seen John Q with Denzel. Denzel oh, and phenomenal. Yeah, Kevin really Connolly's in it. There's a bunch of guys in it. It's a very good movie. If you watch the movie John Q, by the time you're done, it was the perfect timing for Obamacare to be accepted. Wow. Because John Q. I did you, see John Q. I remember yeah, the kid. Like, my the kid. My yeah, yeah, yeah. Son, I don't oh, bury yeah. my kid. My kid, my Babe. son buries me, right? That That's whole right. scene when he's yeah. getting That's emotional. Right. Yeah, you, and, you. And don't show this, by the way, Rob. I mean, the, the people in the back. It's just uh, So John Q, the movie, uh, shows the fact that they need a heart uh, uh, transplant for the kid. And they have to spend uh, some, what, uh, quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a big amount of money. And they're like, yeah, we can't cover that. We can't do that with the insurance. So 
that got the average person to watch the movie and said, that's not fair. That's not this. So it stays. There's so much power in movies. Movies and music can destroy an entire civilization. That's how powerful it is. So, and, and by the way, what was this prompted by? You said uh, something about, you know, when you're reading the stats, one out of four and, you know, 3,000% and all these 4, things that you're given, 4,000%. Yeah. Yep. You know what my problem is with the Pope? Here's what my problem was with the Pope. And it's the same thing problem I have when I go and talk to some other, you know, uh, Christian, you know, pastors or different people that are calling for, you know, business marketing consulting is you're too tolerant. You're, mm-hmm. you, you, you're too tolerant with wanting to uh, compromise your values and principles and standards. You know what was one of my difficult interviews I ever did that was so painful for me when I did this interview? I was, within 30 minutes, I'm like, man, I, I, I'm, I don't want to do this interview anymore. Mike Ditka. And let me tell you why Mike Ditka. I don't know if you know Mike Ditka, you know, Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah. You know, hey, here's a quarter. Go talk to someone who cares. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. I would much rather talk to that guy right there. He was the best you know, what do you call it, post-game interview guy. My, he's maybe the goat of post-game interviews. I, so. oh, yeah. I freaking loved watching this guy. And I interview him, and I ask him a question about Colin Kaepernick because it was that time when he got fired from ESPN for making comments about Kaepernick. I don't know if you remember this. And, and he says, you know, maybe I was too hard. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was too tough. Maybe, I'm like, no, you were not, bro. You were <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I'm trying to, as a fan, to say, no, don't let them do this to you. You were right. You're a leader. We need more people like you. We need you to stay strong. We don't need you to cave. We need you to stay like, you know, uh, uh, what's the word where somebody can get you to bend and apologize, go on a freaking apology tour. No, you were right. His wife is sitting right next to us while I'm doing the interview. You know, I think we need more people that are sitting there saying, look, man, I love you guys. I don't agree with you. Yep. This is not right. I'm not tolerant to it. This doesn't mean I don't love you. This doesn't mean you and I can't have a conversation together. This doesn't mean we can't have dinner together. You know, some people say, well, Pat, you know, you're anti-Muslim and you're anti-this and you're anti-this. Let me say something most people don't know that they need to know. I'm Armenian. I'm a Syrian, okay? And I'm a Christian. My chef, who's in my house every day, how many days a week? I love Five days a week. He cooks for all of us. You ready? He's Turkish and he's a Muslim. Most people don't know this story. I don't brag about it. I don't need to brag about it. I love this guy. He's amazing to my kids. We have the best conversations together. When we first did the interview, he's like, you know, I'm Turkish. I'm like, you know, I'm Armenian. <laughs> yeah, I know. I said, do you, do you want to hurt me? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't have any desire for you to do anything to either. Man, if I get along with you, we can sit there and talk. Great. We can have our differences. We can have the conversation. I'm a Muslim. No problem. All good. We'll sit there and have the conversation. He has different positions, all this stuff that's going on. I think there's a difference between having love yeah. and still being able to disagree. So I don't like that a leader as big as him. There isn't anybody bigger than the Pope. Joel Osteen's not bigger than the Pope. We don't have a Billy Graham today. There's no modern-day Billy Graham going around baptizing 210 million people. He's got a lot of influence behind him, and I actually don't agree with the positions he's taken. And I think he's been too tall. And just, just to throw this out there, I know Italians from Italy, you think they're happy about what he's doing? No. You think I mean, the Italy is one of the most conservative countries in Europe. Jeremy, I was just going to say, the people that I know that are like, hey, I think they're like anti everything that he's doing, and they're furious at what he's doing. Furious. I- Go ahead, Tom. You, you know, the history of presidential approval ratings agree with you 100% on the topic of leadership against a clear backdrop. 
Presidential approval ratings rise when the president is taking a firm stand against a clear backdrop. And it's never Hmm. been social. It's never been social. Oh, the red wave didn't happen in the last election because of abortion. Well, it was a hell of a lot more than that. You know, did that help? No, but there's a lot more to it. You take a look at W's approval rating and Clinton's approval rating when they had clear backdrops that they were against and their approval rating was up. And then when they ran to the center, they either got. Yep. You know, they they the, the approval rating slipped and, and Clinton's approval rating wasn't slipping because people were appalled that he had, you know, uh, an affair and what happened happened. They they were not inspired against a clear backdrop. The best place to go look at it is last week. The Argentine people are not insane. They are not. They saw a clear choice against a very clear backdrop. And you can see that the populace runs to that. And so you can boil up. Uh, frog in a pot slowly, but when the frog is at the point of being cooked against a clear backdrop, that's when the, the voters will respond. And I, I think I think the Pope is just meandering through social social dynamics. I think he's on like a like a photo tour. Yeah, he's a he's a seeker friendly Pope. Something that you typically associate with uh, Protestants, right? This sort of seeker friendly. American Christianity movie movement. And that, that is what he seems to be. I, I'm agreeing with you to your point. I mean, once you are against a clear backdrop, the people will follow yeah. because they'll say, that's my guy. And by the way, no, that's, that's what cool. the Dems don't understand <clears throat> about Trump. But by the, He's so clear. Let me give you the other side, though. That's also not what the leaders on the other end don't understand, that they have to stand up and have backbone and not yep. freaking bend every damn time they fear losing something. Like, you know, you know, you said, you said uh, the, 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 the scene with the, you, your friend, the two girls, the president, who I have an F2, this, this, that whole thing that you were talking yep. about, right? In that moment, your dream may have been, I want to get an Oscar. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. That dream of a 12-year-old kid, Lubbock, where are you from? What part yep, of Texas? Just outside of Lubbock. Just outside. Uh, 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 Garza? What was the thing about the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. The Garza Theater. Yeah. So so this is a kid that has a dream, and now you're a grown man. You're going into, you're having a meeting with people that you want to have, and then that happens. In that moment, you have to make a decision. Values, principles, am I willing to compromise or not? It's a very hard place to be, but we need more people that are intolerant with values and principles, yet loving, gentle, able to give their argument and allowing other people to, or, to agree or disagree and go do your own thing. I don't care if you disagree. Fine. I still respect you, but this is my position. You don't want to do anything about it. Salute to you. Love you. But this is where I stand with this, and I'm not willing to compromise this. I think we need more of that. Anyway, so this is a perfect transition into the trailer. Do we have your permission to show the trailer here on the podcast? Absolutely. Okay, Rob, go ahead and play this trailer. Okay, this is so before we play this clip, can you tell us 30 seconds what it's about, and then we'll play the trailer for the uh, audience to see. Yeah, the movie is called Lady Ballers. That's my entire description. (laughs) If you can't get it from that. Lady Ballers. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a. About some high school state champs, whose uh, basketball players, whose best days are behind them until they figure out that they can go dominate women's sports just by saying that they're women and nothing else. This thing got 20 million views in 48 hours. Go ahead and play it. In a world where women's sports is being transformed, the Daily Wire calls foul with the most triggering comedy of the year. <laughs> God, 
Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway to a better life. Well, like yours? <laughs> Please don't steal my catalytic converter again. Winning matters. It's the key ingredient in becoming a winner. Maybe you should try it sometime. Are you going to move? I am not. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, you know how he identifies. If you can beat them. What do you know about the U.S. Opens for the Global Games? You want us to compete as women. $5,000 prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all. Oh, that's called gender fluid. So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom. I can't believe it. Nice. You mean when you're sleeping? Yes. <laughs> Alex. We could play basketball. We'd have to get the whole team back together. It's time. We're in. I'm in. I'm in. To play. Lady Baldus. Mount up. Like a girl. Guess what? I'm with her. Believe in my truth. This is my truth. Heroes. Day one of being a girl athlete. <laughs> I love being a girl. To Sheroes. We could dominate every woman's sport. Running. Swimming, soccer. I said sport, Felix. It's ladies basketball, boys. Nobody watches. <laughs> Excuse me. Are these seats open? <laughs> ne never mind. Get it done. Biggest I've ever seen on a lady. I, I don't care. Lady balls. I don't care. I, I don't care. One can even be trans age now, which provides Sheelix with a wonderful opportunity to relive Sheelix. all the Sheelix. experiences <laughs> that she missed out on in school. Streaming <laughs> exclusively on Daily Wire Plus December 1st. I can't wait to read the reviews on Rotten Tomato. That's what I'm interested in. I want to read the reviews. So. Uh, uh, obviously, funny as hell. Uh, the trailer. I haven't seen a flick yet. This comes out when? On Friday. On Friday. On Friday. Okay. So, and it's going to be only on Daily Wire Plus. Daily Wire Plus. Okay. Now, when you see the final product right now yourself, what feeling do you have? Is it because I know you? What you're thinking about is like that clip with your head hitting the table. Did it actually hurt? Because I look like you actually hit the table. It hurt, and I did it thirty times. <laughs> Here's the thing about hitting about being a stunt guy, you know, like Tom Cruise does all of his own stunts. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, this wasn't able to be done by a stunt guy, and so they said, "Yo, you're going to have to do it." You're quick, your head. quick, hit your head on the table. Yeah. Everything about your body is programmed to break your fall. Yeah. And so the thing about the thing about doing that stunt, if you're not a crazy stunt guy, uh, who's already you know, beat all of this common sense out of yourself is that you try to stop yourself, but you also know that you have to pull off the stunt on camera. So all you're doing is ensuring that you're going to have to do it again and again, and it still hurts every time. It's not like you're not hitting the table. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? You can't be like, hey, listen, guys, I'm only doing this one. I swear to God, no. you better get it. No. Yeah. yeah. But, well, because I wasn't good enough to do it. Like, I, I wouldn't let myself fully commit to it until. I'd had all the sense beat out of me, and then you got the good one. So, Jer oh, I'm sorry. What's a, what's a budget for something like this? I think we spent seven million. Seven million on this. Yep. It looks it looks very good. Looks very good. Can't wait to see it on December first. Go ahead. Can I ask you a question? So, Jeremy, it comes out 
uh, exclusively on da- Daily Wire. Yep. Uh, plus or just regular Daily, uh, Daily Wire Plus. Daily Wire Plus. Got you. Got yep. you. So, Jeremy, what what are the odds if if it's and and we hope we hope so we hope for you it's it's really successful online. Is there any chance for it to be to, to a point where you're like okay people want to see it people really love it we want to put it out in the theater how how would that work. Yeah, it, it won't. We met with some theatrical distri- uh, distributors. I think the film would do very well in theaters. In fact, I think that it would outkick its coverage in theaters because right now theaters are in trouble, right? Disney bombed at the box office this weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Almost every film since the pandemic has done poorly at the box office with, a, with precious few exceptions. But for the right, going to the theater can be an act of protest. Buying a subscription to The Daily Wire is not an act of protest. So I think it would do much better in theaters than it will on our platform. Here's the problem. That movie ain't going to no theaters. <laughs> Unless it's, you're like, you warn everybody. One of, the, one of the top agents at UTA came to us years ago, not that many years ago, a couple of years ago, and said, hey, we'd love to work with you guys. We can do some huge things together. And I said, no, you, there's no way you'll ever do huge things with us. You, we believe this. We believe that. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't care about any of that. We just care about, you know, th- there's an opportunity here. We want to take it. He said, the only thing is you got to back off this trans issue. So I don't care what you say about abortion. Don't care what you say about religion. Don't care what you say about who to vote for. Don't care what you say about taxes. Got to back off this trans issue. This is the religious issue of our time for the left. This yeah. represents the culmination of their religious beliefs. Uh, and so when we went to theatrical distributors, they, it was a... We're not even going to engage in the conversation. It's not that they passed. It was just like, here's a great example. The Hollywood trades have covered every movie we've made at Daily Wire so far. They won't even write about this one. And and I understand. Because that would be putting themselves on the other side of the actual religion that matters within their industry. So, yeah, uh, sadly, while men, I think that we will have a theatrical strategy for many of our films going forward in the future... There's no way this that ain't, the, that ain't the one. By the way, you know what's crazy though? Here's what's crazy. So Clay Travis comes out <laughs> and says, "I'll put a, put a million dollars of my own money." I don't know if you saw this, Tom. Clay Travis from Outkick. Yep. He gives a million bucks, saying, "I am willing to say, I'll pick the high school t- high school kids, high school boys. A high school boys basketball team will beat the WNBA champions." Yep. <laughs> Have you seen this or no? Okay, so check this out. Then one of the players responds back and calls him clown or whatever, right? He comes back and says, well, if you're so confident, why don't you do it? No word. Pat Beverly comes out and Pat Beverly says, you're an idiot. He calls him something like you're, you're on drugs, okay? <laughs> and then Clay Travis says, well, maybe I'm on drugs. He says, but both of us are millionaires. Why don't you put your million dollars yes. <laughs> on the WNBA? And why don't I put the million dollars on a high school team and let's see who wins? Never got back to him, okay? Never got back to him. He has cornered <laughs> these right. ladies and the entire sports mainstream media and athletes who think WNBA is this incredible sport that people want to watch, and you're like, don't worry, uh, nobody watches WNBA and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. It just it shows contradiction and hypocrisy in the argument to say it's just not real. You know who's the best person that said what she said in 2012 or 13 when she says, Andy Murray playing against me? He would crush Serena. me. Serena. Serena Williams Serena said it Williams. to David Letterman, and David Letterman couldn't say anything about it. Now, I don't know if she would say today. She said that about 10 years ago, whatever it was. What a movie like this does, you know what it does? It gets you thinking. The challenge for me is the people that watch Daily Wire are already 
understanding. Look at this. I would lose 6-0, to Andy Murray in 10 minutes That's right. when Serena Williams said this. So guess what? Respect to her being straight up about it. And, get, and she still makes a lot of money. She makes a $20 million a year. She's very wealthy. Yep. She's the coach. She's won 22, 23, 24. Won a couple you know, majors. Champions, couple, couple majors. majors. <laughs> she's, she's and won her a, sister. She beat <laughs> Ste- Ste- Steffi Graf, and she's done a lot of great things. She's one of the greatest female tennis players of all time. She deserves her success. Maybe yep. the greatest, some would say, That's of right. all time, right? But the the purpose of this movie, this is where my, my concern goes, is the people that need to watch it may not pay to watch it on Daily Wire. The people that need to watch it need to watch it to be sitting there saying, what a stupid thing this is. So is the plans, and, and I don't know what you're going to say to this, maybe this is the plans because, you know, the, uh, uh, could be part of the playbook, where you guys did What is a Woman, and you first had it on Daily Wire Plus for a couple of years, whatever the timeline was, and then you put it on Twitter and got 100 million views within 24 hours, and Elon Musk retweeted it. Is the plans for this to be on Daily Wire Plus for about a year or two, and then you put it on Twitter to get the eyeballs of the you know regular folks to watch it and say, holy shit, this makes a lot of sense? Yeah, I, I would say that, well, first, you know, we're, we're often accused of preaching to the choir, but preaching to the choir is who you preach to. The, the choir is who listens. And the you reality, gotta baptize though. You the, gotta baptize as well. But who does that? And and this is my actual <clears throat> argument. You you preach to the choir because it's the choir who goes out and has relationships one on one, which is actually where most people change their mind. I changed my mind about my theology because yeah. I had a great professor for my very 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 brief stint uh, in college. I had a, a professor who would argue with me about religion, and I never was even conscious of the fact that I changed my views. I just slowly over time found that when I was talking to other people, I was saying not the things that I would say to him, but the things that he would say back to me. And then one day, in a moment of self-reflection, I went, well, he actually changed my mind. I actually believe something now that is distinct from what I believed before. That's how most of us come to our beliefs. It's from our close community. It's from our friends. It's from mixing it up. It's not from watching the Ben Shapiro show. Sure, some people watch the Ben Shapiro show. A lefty will watch the Ben Shapiro show. Boom, they're a conservative. That's rare. Far more likely is a conservative watches the Ben Shapiro show. They now get ammunition for how to actually articulate and actually think about these issues. Then they go out into the world and have conversations with people with whom they disagree, and those people make change. So I I don't think preaching to the choir is innately bad. I think it's good. But it's not not sufficient. Obviously, there's the next thing that needs to happen. With with what is a woman, as you say, we put it on— uh, put it on Twitter on the one-year anniversary and had an enormous success with it. Will we do that with this? Well, I don't know what we will do with this, but certainly we are constantly innovating and evolving and thinking about how to reach people. So whether that's whether that's putting it on X or whether it's some other strategy, uh, cer- certainly we are going to find broader and broader audiences for our content over time. Well, it sounds like you're subscribing to basically the um, the execution of apologetics. I'm going to give you the way to argue, and then I'm going to let you go work with the people that you know and love on a more one-to-one basis. I'm not going to expect you to to convert, you know, in, in amongst the mob. Yeah. You know, but there are some that are breaking through. Um, you know, uh, South Park's Pandaverse episode has been, you're smiling, has been absolutely destroying Disney and Kennedy. It showed, uh, it went after Kennedy, the woman who's been redoing all Kathleen these. Kennedy. Yep. All the, she's been responsible for all the bombs. And that happened under Chapek because it's the release windows is what um, Iger was dealing with when he showed up. But all this was done there. There are some people that are doing it. I mean, they've got that. Um, they took that platform, got it on Paramount Plus, and it, it, it's out there. Everybody's seeing it, and Disney is reacting, trying to keep it off, and they're doing everything they can to fight it. And 
God bless whoever at Paramount Plus said, no, 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 no. That's part of the series. That's yep. that satire. That's cartoon. We're going to leave it on. But that thing was heavy handed. You know what's crazy about his movie too, Pat, before I know you want to move on? People can actually do, like, I know it's a movie, but guys could literally today do exactly what you guys did in the movie, say that they're women, and do exactly what he's doing. Like, nothing's holding you back. Well, they are doing it. (laughs) They are doing it. Yeah. The the scene that's in the trailer, and and, and I'll stop talking, I'll stop self promoting. No, it's all good. The scene in the trailer where Blaine Crane lifts, is wrestling, he lifts the woman (laughs) off the ground and smashes her. First of all, it hurt. She's a professional (laughs) stunt woman, and it was painful. It was painful to watch. And when I was driving home, I actually had a moment of reflection that night and thought, is this immoral? Am I doing something wrong? Like, we, we're, we humiliated that gal. I mean, she signed up for it. She's a professional, but <laughs> you don't feel great about it. And then I realized, oh, no, this, is, this isn't even a joke. The first male MMA fighter who identified as a woman and fought an actual biological woman broke her um, skull. Almost killed her. Yep. Broke her skull. <laughs> all, we're, all we're doing is what they did in Death of Stalin. We're saying... No, this is reality, and it's okay to laugh at it. Exactly. Are you calling it inspired by true events? I should have. You should have. <laughs> Honestly, you should have, because that's start, what I mean. It should have been. Start right you, now. By the way, you know, uh, uh, have you read Musk's book, Walter Isaacson, or no? No. Okay, I'm going to give you a line. I think it's the best line. This is one of my favorite quotes uh, recently that I've read. The quote says uh, in Musk's book, uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. It says, uh, Musk likes to take the fiction out of science fiction. What a powerful thing to say. What a powerful thing to say. Musk likes to take the fiction out of science fiction. Hmm. You could have called this based on true events, and people would say, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about Disney and uh, Marvel. So Disney admits the left, its left-wing policies hurt shareholders. In new SEC filing, Disney is now admitting that it is... Uh, uh, it's been slapped by its own customers for its far-left social and political agenda. Legal expert Jonathan Turley wrote in the recent column, Disney's SEC filing, we face risks relating to misalignment with the public and consumer tastes and preferences for entertainment, travel, and consumer products, which impact demand for entertainment offering and products and that profitability of any of our businesses. We face risk related to changes in our business strategy or restructuring of our business, which has affected and may continue. This past summer, Disney stock had hit a nine-year low with its marketing cap falling from $350 billion in March of 2022 to $154 billion, a decline of, Vinny, you ready? Hmm. They lost $196 billion in one year. What? $196 billion, a 56% drop-off in a little over a year, and then at the same time, they're talking about what happened with Wish. Disney's animated musical comedy Wish has a disappointing box office debut, earning approximately $19.5 million over the three-day Thanksgiving and $31.7 million to five days. This film marks Disney's 100, 100th anniversary celebration, features a cosmic force named star and sharp-witted heroine, uh, hero named Asha. The Hunger Games and the Battles on the Lions get top now because it only comes up twenty pounds. So when you see these types mm-hmm. of things, and by the way, this is back to back to back to back to back. It's becoming a trend with Disney. Y- you know, Bob Iger wrote a great book called The Ride of a Lifetime. And then he made the mistake of coming back. Okay. That's right. This guy comes back, and now the sequel of that book should be A Ride of a Lifetime with a shitty return. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe the best deal maker we've had in the last 40 years. He sat with the biggest alphas and bought their companies, Lucas, yeah. Jobs, you know, 
Murdoch. I, I don't know how many other names I can say. He's done it all, right? Start of a guy, great executive. Do you think, one, any of this is his blame? Is it Shapek? Is it, do you think he's sitting there regretting his return? And all in all, why do you think Disney, knowing that this has happened and they continue doing it, or is it the fact that the pipeline of these movies have taken three to five years to make that they're kind of like, let's get the, all these shitty movies out and then we'll change our philosophy next year, but it's not going to take, it's going to take us three to five years to recover with the next movies that are going to come out. Well, I think you've got, there's a lot there to, to unpack. First, I'll say, is any of it Bob Iger's fault? Of course it is, right? But Bob Iger wasn't uninvolved in setting the stage for what was going to come after him. You know, you, you're not Bob Iger and then shocked, shocked and dismayed to figure out who they replace you with. Uh, so yeah, Bob, Bob Iger put a lot of this in place. Yes, one of the great executives of our time. As to why he came back, you know, does Michael Jordan still play basketball? It's almost impossible to ever walk away from the thing that you're uniquely gifted at. And we see it with professional athletes all the time that they they come back after their heyday and 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 do poorly. But they can't walk away from the game. So I get that he can't walk away from the game and he can't walk away from his legacy. And he's a greater executive than anybody at this table will ever be. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't made his billion dollar mistakes. And I think he's, he's dealing with one right now. Yes. The window of time that it takes for these things to come out. It's a huge part of it. If Disney decided today, uh, we're only going to make movies about uh, Bible stories. Well, you wouldn't get one of those movies about Bible stories for three years, but there's just, that's just the reality of, of what that process looks like. So, so that's part of what they're fighting against. But I think the biggest problem that they have, and I know this from many, many incredibly gifted people within Disney uh, with whom I've, I've spoken over the last year, they fired everyone who knows how to engage in traditional storytelling without all of this woke nonsense in it. They created such a bubble over there that even if Bob Iger does say, Bob I if Bob Iger came out today and said, we're not even going to release the crap, we're going to take the hit, and then starting on a day three years from today, we're going to relaunch Disney. He, he doesn't have the team to do it. He said recently, you know, we, we've waded too far into politics, and now we're, going to, now we're going to not pick these controversial political fights anymore. The people, at, the people actually working for him who have to effectuate that plan do not know the difference between the controversial things they believe and the uncontroversial things that they believe because they exist within a company that's a bubble, within an industry that is a bubble, within a city that's a bubble, within a state that's a bubble. That entire, you know, well-documented, the, the right understands the left. We disagree, but we understand. The left does not understand the right. The left does not understand themselves. Disney has engaged in the greatest act of brand suicide that has probably ever happened in recorded history. The most beloved brand the most goodwill with the most important people, parents, on behalf of the most, uh, uh, the, the most vulnerable people, children. We, we trust Disney for three consecutive generations. We as adults trust Disney with our children. Disney helped shape the worldview of every single adult in this country. We trusted them so much that we gave them tax breaks all over the country. Like, all the goodwill that came their way because they were so unique. And they created the greatest content library ever assembled in all of human history, and then they squandered it. The, the lesson there for anybody engaged in any kind of business is, is enormous. Uh, that if you think that you are more powerful than your audience, you have completely lost the plot. And Disney has completely lost the plot. I don't think Bob Iger, can, you know, can he get their share price up over time? Maybe, or maybe he'll just sell it to Apple. Which is, I that's think, what he's trying to do. I that's think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, he's going to sell. He's going to sell pieces it to Apple. Pieces by pieces. Yeah, he'll yeah. sell it to Apple, and it'll become even more <clears throat> radical because Apple can afford 
for a time to be disconnected from the audience. They can't afford it forever. It's crazy. Same, same thing with the Budweiser. You know what I mean? Bud Light. How insane. How, how do you even think in that meeting? And, I, and I, I remember the girl that was in charge, Rob. I forgot, I forgot her name, but she's the one that made the decision. She had the, all the rainbow stuff and stuff behind her. A, a beer, whack guy, normal drinking country, and you put Dylan Mulvaney. And like I, I would put them at, at number two for the worst decision, for the worst for your people to be like, what yeah. an overnight shock. And I don't know how many billions that they lost. But yeah, what? Paul, the customers are the customers for Bud Light are very fratty. Yeah, we need to we need to yeah. grow. But at what point go we'll go bro, like uh, like uh, how many more times? How many more instances have to happen until <laughs> these people actually wake up? Like genuinely wake up because it's billions and bill. It's not like okay, five. We lost five million dollars. Okay, we can move on. This is billions and billions of dollars. So here's your problem. The the problem is that the left has complete hegemony in the culture today, and one of the consequences of that problem a is that they don't know, but b is that there are no true consequences. So, has she lost her job? If she has lost her job, where is she working now? Exactly. Because the the left will reinforce these bad behaviors. Even if Bud fires her, someone else will hire her. In fact, they'll hire her and pat themselves on the back for their act of heroism in rescuing her from the persecution <laughs> of the other company that fired her. They they can't get rid of... It comes full circle. They are so committed to this bad thought, this this bad idea that is in their head, that in times of relative peace and relative prosperity, they're willing to just engage in self-flagellation over and over and over again. Do you know what zombie companies are? Are you Tell familiar me. with zombie companies? So zombie companies are companies that the their, their actual business model doesn't make money. It only makes money to pay operating expenses. And the debt, aside from that, there's no profit, so they don't have money to invest into it. Okay? Right. Zombie companies rely on debt to grow. For example... In 1997, in America, according to the Fed, 1% of companies in America were zombie companies. Today, according to Goldman and according to the Fed, 25% of companies today are zombie companies. By the way, Ford is a zombie company. Ford is a zombie company. Sears was a zombie company. They filed bankruptcy. JCPenney was a zombie company. They filed bankruptcy. Toys R Us was a zombie company, they filed bankruptcy. iHeartMedia is a zombie company. They're getting destroyed. They're filing bankruptcy. So what, what, what happens with zombie companies, the reason why the increase of zombie companies went from 1% to 25% is because of the interest rates going to 0% okay, right. for as long as it did. And when it went to 0%, these companies are like, hey, let's just keep getting that. By the way, Ford just got $9.3 billion last year. That's how they're surviving. For three quarters, they were negative, neg three years, they were negative, 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 and now barely they're coming out of it because uh, Biden gave them $9.3 billion saying, hey, these guys are going to be an EV company. You're not a freaking EV company. No. The other guys are EV companies, but totally get it. So the whole too big to fail, you know, they were afraid to let these companies go out of business. So... This whole, you know, the TARP program that they came, you know, came up with. And most people don't even know what TARP stands for. Can you Google what TARP stands for? Okay. So TARP, oh, it's a TARP program. It's just a TARP program. What a good TARP program. A TARP program uh, is Troubled Asset Relief Program. Troubled is the T. Troubled Asset. So let's bail out Troubled Asset Relief Program instead of letting capitalism do its part. Here's the problem. 
when, like these companies I just said, the, the Sears, JCPenney, iHeartMedia, Toys R Us, they all filed bankruptcy between 2016 to 2020. Here's what happened. When Trump became a president, he appointed Jerome Powell to chair of the Fed. I think it used to be Yellen before. I don't know who it was, but I think he appoints Powell. When Powell comes in, he starts increasing rates. If you go to 2017, rates started increasing. And even Trump wasn't a fan of the fact that he was increasing rates. So when they increase rates, these companies are like, dude, you can't do that. We're trying to borrow money. The only way we can last is through debt. You can't be doing this. So the more, if the interest rates today, Powell keeps them the way he does, companies like Disney and a lot of these other companies have to be bought by somebody else because they're not going to be able to last. A lot of these zombie companies are going to get destroyed the longer rates they hire. And the correlation between interest rates being high and zombie companies being exposed is identical. And the rates mm -hmm. being lower and the increase in zombie companies is identical. So you notice that trend. So at the end of the day, you can pitch the woke shit all you want. Guess what the customer is yep. going to say? Get the hell out of here. And then you're going to be another zombie company that once was a great company where the founders crying, watching down if he's in heaven saying, what the hell did you guys do to that company that I put tens of thousands of hours of my life being away from the kids, the family road. I was sick. I was still doing conference calls, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the times I was dealing with health issues that I couldn't advertise because God forbid, you know, how to meet a secret doctor so the public wouldn't talk about it. They're, they're about to pay a price. And I'm willing to say the person that controls which one of these companies get exposed as zombie companies is Jerome Powell. If Jerome Powell mm. decides to decrease the rates, it'll be the return of the zombies. Literally, <laughs> it'll be the return of the zombies. But if Jerome Powell keeps the rates high for, the, for another year and a half and he doesn't get fired, you're going to see the next year and a half, two years, some of these guys getting picked up by other people who are better at operating expenses, who are better at making profits, who are better at running a company. And, uh, you know, we had a, a couple of the competitors they're raising money, buying companies. They're raising money, buying companies. They're raising money, buying companies when rates are very low. Okay. Then all of a sudden your rates, are, if they're adjustable and all of a sudden it's going up and it like, you know, re-triggers every two to three years, you're like, hey, we're okay at 3%. We can't freaking pay this at 7.5%. You saw what happened to the interest rates? What the hell are we talking about right now? And then you're like, you got to be cheaper on the way you're spending the money. So they can do this all they want. The market, if rates stay high, is going to topple a lot of these companies, and they'll get exposed. And Bob is just trying to sell it because Disney stock, it's just going to go lower and lower yep. and lower. And Apple is sitting there saying, yeah, we'll buy you, but in another year, we'll save another 33%. Why would we buy today? We're still going to buy you. You'll be an Apple company, but we'll wait. We wait a year, we'll save $50 billion, and I know they like to have their cash. Um, did you watch Napoleon the movie? I have not been to the movies. Do you like Joaquin Phoenix? I think he's the greatest living actor. Okay, wow, we're on good. the same page. To yeah. me, it's top three. I think Joaquin is phenomenal. Um, do you know the story about how much the budget was? For, are you following any of the story with Napoleon? Yeah, I've been overseas. I haven't been into it. Okay, so $200 million to make. Ridley Scott, yeah. Yep, Ridley mm -hmm. Scott. $200 million to make. To break even, they needed to do $400 million opening week. They did $79 million. Oh. Missed it by $321 million. I sat there, took, you know, 10, 12 family members. We're sitting there watching an entire movie together. I couldn't believe they wasted a year of Joaquin Phoenix's life to make this shitty movie, okay? 
it was more like a documentary. You know how they do these documentaries where there's like actual actors dressed like warriors. Yeah. And you know what I'm talking I don't know what they call it. Recreate. But- reenactment. Re- you know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. That's what I felt. When you're done watching it, it's another example of destroying a Western leader and only showing his weakness. And he's walking around like a little weak man insecure rather than the general that he was. Not a single point in the movie did I even... Was I even tempted to cry? How do you make a three-hour movie, a two-hour and 45-minute movie, and not make me cry a single time? Josephine dies. There was not a moment where I was, like, emotional about the way you took me there. You had an opportunity to take this movie in a way where, Mm. you know, it it, it almost reminded me of when Colin Farrell did Alexander. Remember when Colin Farrell did Alexander, like, 30 years ago, and it was another miss, and they're like, this was a bad job they did for portraying who Alexander was and all this other stuff? Very disappointing when I watch this uh, myself, uh, Joaquin. When you watch Walk the Line, when you watch some of these movies, you think like, dude, the guy's a freaking beast. This is uh, a very much of a missed job. I know it, you it watch was, it as well it, with it, me. It was one of those movies where, because normally, if it's a good movie, I'm not going to the bathroom. I don't care. I'll even time the drinking of the water throughout the day. I went to the bathroom three times and came Ooh. back, and it was still just because, like he said, at least in Gladiator, and I mean, you can't you can't compare the two, obviously. Zero. But Gladiator, yeah. it started with the war. You know, they killed his wife. They they hanged the the wife. The, it's it, this was just like a day in the life of Napoleon, and like Pat said, just weak. And you know, the girl was kind of you know she was in charge, and like zero emotion, zero excitement. And like I said, I walked away. You could have. I think, like, for people that have kids, you could just, if the kid's not going to sleep, play this movie, and the kid will pass out <laughs> instantly. It yeah, was just, it's a it, cure for insomnia. It's it's a, <laughs> well, if there's yeah. one thing I know, it's that the, the greatest general and conqueror maybe in human history was definitely whipped by his wife, who is really the, the one calling all the shots. <laughs> no, no question about it. Yeah. <laughs> Josephine the Conqueror. Yeah. <laughs> she was Josephine a, the Great. That's so the last funny. three words, he says, the, the, the last three words before he died was France, Army, Josephine. Good. The last three words. And, and yeah. they, he tweeted it out, I think, when he said that, Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they yeah. still have it. It was a nice And you know what my, my three words when we left the theater was? That? Patrick, never again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was, those <laughs> were my three words. <clears throat> never never again. again. Are you following what's going on in Dublin and what uh, Conor McGregor said to, you know, the whole uh, uh, challenge that's taking place there wanting to take uh, refugees? No. Nope. Following that story? Oh, All right, let's read. I, let's go I, I know a little bit about what's happening in Ireland, but not the Conor McGregor. Okay, so let's, let's read this and then we'll get your commentary on it. So, yeah. Dublin sees worse writing in decades after children stabbed. This is a Wall Street Journal story. Dublin witnesses worse civil uh, disorder in decades, resulting in 13 damaged shops, 34 arrests, and the deployment of over 400 police officers. Garda Commissioner Drew Harris attributed the violence to lunatic, hooligan, fra- uh, faction driven by the far-right ideology. The riots following a stabbing attack outside a school, leaving three children injured and five-year-old girl in critical condition. A man in his 50s was taken into custody, and the incident sparked rumors online. Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar condemned the rioters, warning of potential further protests and emphasizing the need for review of the event of violence, has also raised questions about migration in Ireland with around 141,600 migrants, immigrants entering the republic between April, damn, April 2022 and April 2023. According to government figures, the majority coming from Ukraine. And while this is taking place, Conor McGregor rips the Irish government. Uh, appears to hint at political aspirations. Conor McGregor, Rob, if you got the tweet, the U.S. UFC superstar criticized the current state of Ireland amid protests. McGregor said, I do not condone 
last night's riots. I do not condone any, condone any attacks uh, of, on our first responders in their duty of line of duty. I do not condone looting and the damaging of shops. McGregor emphasized the need for action and change in Ireland, hinting at potential aspirations. He stated, I am in the process of arranging. Believe me, I am uh, way more technical uh, and I have backing. There will be change in Ireland. Mark my words. McGregor also warned that if officials don't act to ensure Ireland's safety, he would take matters into his own hands, saying if they do not take action soon with their plan of action to ensure Ireland's safety, I will. So Ooh. what are your thoughts on what's going on there? Well, first of all, the, the greatest bad idea of the 20th century is that you can have unfettered immigration. Uh, you know, Im- immigration is important. Obviously, America is an immigrant country. But the melting pot... Uh, theory of immigration requires you not to change fundamentally the taste of the soup. You, you, you see what I mean? You, you have to bring in people who either align with the soup, and so bringing them in doesn't change the flavor of the soup, or you bring in people who don't, but in small enough numbers that the soup assimilates the ingredient, the ingredient doesn't overpower the soup. And that worked very well in this country for a long time. And in the second half of the 20th century, we threw that completely out the door and we said, no, 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 everything all the time. Bring in everybody. In fact, you know, it, it was a deliberate political strategy led by Ted Kennedy and others in this country to change the, the voting demographics of the country to more align with his politics. And, and I, I think it hasn't always been that. And that's not the only thing uh, that was at play. There's also a huge economic aspect, which is when, when your culture isn't having babies at a replacement rate or at a growing rate. You have to bring in immigrants in order to do certain jobs, especially in times of prosperity. There's other refugee concerns. But essentially, the bad idea is that every culture is the same. And therefore, no matter who we let into our country, our culture will remain our culture. And that that is a bad idea that kills nations. And so you look around the world right now and you see, well, it turns out 50 years into this experiment that all cultures are not the same. And that if you bring in too many people from certain cultures at a rate in which the soup can't can't uh, uh, consume the ingredient, you start changing the taste of the soup. You start changing your culture into their culture. And people are rightly pushing back against that. I don't think that they're always pushing back against it in the right way, but it is right to push back against it. And the real question for the West is, is it too late? You know, when the, when the number one baby name in Britain is Muhammad, you you've gone a long way down this road, yep. and what are you going to do about it? And I worry that what's ahead in the next 20 years in the world is going to be an incredibly dark time as the West either goes through death death gasps or course corrects, and either one of those is likely to be painful, uh, and I'm likely to disagree with a lot of the actions taken by people who with uh, who I think did accurately diagnose the problem. I think one of the one of the challenges, particularly in the sort of emerging right-wing movements around the world today, is that a lot of people are accurately diagnosing the problem, but their prescription is the incorrect prescription. And that happens when you push people who are who have not been thinking about issues for a long time to their breaking point. You can't expect mm. that they're going to have the right answer, but they are going to be pretty uh, acutely aware that there's a problem. And I think that's part of what we're seeing. Like, like Conor McGregor, Burning down shops and looting is a bad reaction, but an underst- but but the outrage is understandable. Hundred percent. I, I want to read this, and Vinny, I want to come to you. I'm going to yeah. read this tweet because this is the one I miss, and then I'm, I'm going no, go to come to you. So, Leo Varadkar, this is a day of enormous joy and relief for Emily Hand uh, and her family, an innocent child who was lost. Keyword lost. lost. 
has now been found and returned, and we breathe a massive sigh of relief. Our prayers have been answered. By the way, readers added context. Emily was not lost. She was abducted by terrorists from Hamas. Conor McGregor, she was abducted by an evil terrorist organization. What is with you and your government and your paid-for-media affiliates constantly downplaying, attempting to repress horrific acts that happen to children? You are a disgrace the day after a stabbing of children in Ireland. Not one paper had it on their front cover. We will not forget. I mean, look, if there's anything about this guy, he knows how to fight, but this guy knows how to fight with his fists and his legs, but with his body, but he also knows how to fight with his mouth, which is rare to find. Vinny, go ahead. And, and, the, and it's funny that the Irish government is going after people who are complaining about the problem instead of going after the actual problem itself. And by the way, 75% of people in Ireland think that this is a problem. They all think like how Connor's thinking. But uh, let's, th- let's think about it. This guy that attacked, it was an Algerian migrant. He stabbed these kids outside of a school, Pat, and uh, he was supposed to be deported 20 years ago, but the government let him stay, gave him a passport and citizenship. He was also caught with a knife earlier in the year, and guess what? They let him go. They just let him go. So you have to ask why all these things are happening, right, Pat? And then and then there's bills that are being put in place right now that are pretty jacked up. Uh, is it okay if he shows this, Pat? Senator Pauline O'Reilly was speaking about Ireland's yep. hate speech bill. You, you know what I mean, Jeremy? Because they're going after yep. these people. I'll have Rob play it, and then I'll tell you what this bill actually has, and no wonder why the people are pissed off. This is uh, Senator Pauline O'Reilly from Ireland. Think about it. All law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, <laughs> is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our Constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Yeah, Everything sure. needs to be balanced. I'm with the government. I'm here and to help. if That's your what she's views on other people's identities go to make their lives... Right, we can stop that. She's then, a very pleasant tyrant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's sweet. She's not... She actually... You know, when somebody wears a necklace, I trust them. But people don't realize how extreme this bill, this hate speech bill that they're trying to do, Jeremy. You can get up to 12 months in prison for rep- refusing to give your password to your device since if suspected of committing a hate speech. If they think... You were being hateful. You have to give them your passcode of your phone and all your social media, or else you go to uh, prison for for 12 months. And I, I I respect Connor Pat because he is a true patriot. Think about it. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He knows he's out there, right? He has an amazing life, amazing family. I mean, he he himself he's pumping out kids left and right. He's saving the Ireland's bloodline forever. But um, he could have stayed quiet, Pat. He does. Why, why did? Why do you need to talk? He knows once he went public with his opinion, especially going against the left's narrative, that they tried to destroy him. And think about it, Pat. You remember a couple months ago, I started losing faith, Jeremy. I was like, hope. And we had a, we had a conversation. I was sitting right where you were sitting. It's like, you have to keep hope. And, and he literally woke me up and I, and I turned my, my mindset because look what's happening in the world. It started with Trump. Argentina elects Malay. The Netherlands elected uh, Geert Wilders. The people in Spain are in the street. They're protesting by the hundreds of thousands. Elon buys Twitter. He, you know, lets <laughs> us speak our minds. And now Connor's hinting for running for office. I'm regaining that hope and that faith because it seems like the left keeps getting left and more left and more left. But the people are actually speaking and there is a chance for us because I'm seeing it happen right in front of our faces. Yeah, you know, you know what is crazy while he's showing this clip? The, the clip that to me is the most shocking, and Rob, I texted it to you, if you can play the clip from uh, Poland, the position he takes, 
while they're talking about uh, 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 refugees. Go ahead and play this clip. This never gets old. Go for it. How many refugees has Poland taken? Zero. <laughs> and you're proud of that? If you are asking me, if you're, if you're asking me about Muslim, uh, Muslims' illegal immigration, none, not even one will come to Poland. Not mm -hmm. even one if it's illegal. We, we took over two million Ukrainians who are working, who are peaceful in Poland, we will not receive even one Muslim because this is what we promised. But I asked this not about illegal failed. immigrants, I asked about refugees. And Jean-Claude Juncker, the Commission President, says that you're racist. You sound proud of the fact that you haven't taken any refugees. Of course, because this is what our people <laughs> expecting from our government, that's number one. This is why our government was uh, elected. But this is why Poland is so safe. This is the, the, the reason why we had not even uh, one terrorist attack. Look at the streets in Poland. And we can be called populists, nationalists, racists. I don't care. I care about my family and about my country. The, the backbone oh, is man. what you got to respect. What's your reaction when you see this stuff happening? Well, yeah, you know, there's, there's uh, two countries in Europe, Poland and Hungary, where they're not abiding this and they're safe countries. You know, I, I don't know. Time will tell if people like Viktor Orban are, uh, are, have dictatorial tendencies. Certainly they have autocratic tendencies. Benjamin Netanyahu has uh, autocratic tendencies. And time will tell, you know, again, power, wealth, and fame are corrosive. You know, will, will the systems that are in place in those countries and the character of those men be able to constrain in some way those worst, the, the worst things that can happen in those situations? I certainly hope so. But on the other side, in in the the more what we might call the more democratic countries, the more liberal democracies uh, like America, Britain, France, we're losing our national identity, and not just our national identity, but in the name of radical individualism, we're losing individual identity too. Because your daughter can actually lose connection to the part of her identity that is girl, and your son can lose uh, part of his identity that is boy, and we're losing our ability to say that our countries represent something good, that our cultures, despite their flaws, represent something good in the world, and maybe even the best thing that's ever been represented in the world. And so, yes, it is, again, maybe not all the prescriptions are correct, but you're seeing absolutely the right diagnoses uh, by the former Polish prime minister and the current uh, prime minister of Hungary and, and other, Geert Wilders and others who are coming up and hopefully Conor McGregor too. I hope so. By, by the way, it's going to be very, if, if he becomes a P, oh my if God. he does, it'll be the most entertaining. Oh. Oh, the, everybody worldwide is going to want to go visit Ireland. Can you well, imagine that? Where are you oh, going for vacation? I'm, just, man, I'm going over there. They shouldn't have debates. They should have a weigh-in. It'll be the greatest <laughs> political oh, debate. Oh my God. <laughs> Can you see foreign leaders coming up here? Welcome to Ireland. Well, yeah, but okay. Because you know, you, tomorrow, tomorrow we debate, but first today we. Because you know, somebody would say something, Penny, be like, "What the fuck? Yeah. Like, what are you Get talking the about? Fuck out of yeah, here!" No, he would be like, "Okay, today we're gonna open up the uh, prayer with uh, proper twelve drink. Everybody, yeah. put your uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, next couple stories before we wrap up here. So, Argentina, Millet says shutting down central bank, non-negotiable, a Reuters story. So here we go. Uh, this is on, uh, what page is it on, Rob? Is it three or four? Malay is on five. Okay, here we go. Uh, let me see. There you go. Argentina president-elect uh, Javier Millet has strongly reiterated his commitment to closing the country's uh, central bank 
emphasizing that it is non-negotiable matter. This statement was made in response to circulating rumor and lines with Millet's campaign promising of enacting substantial reforms and a shift from the initial plan of appointing a close ally economist. Osvaldo Giordano from the central Cordoba region will lead Argentina's Social Security Administration on uh, says a critical institution, given Millet's intention to reduce state spending and subsidies. Additionally, Horacio Marin, a private executive in the energy sector, has been officially named as the incoming chief of the state oil company YPF. Tom? Well, he's basically, Argentina's had, what was it, 150% inflation over 12 months, and then before that, 80%. So the last three years in Argentina yep. have been nothing short of horrific, and the people are ready for that, and he sees the manipulation of the you know, of the central banks all, all throughout the West. Argentina is in the West, uh, barely with the economy and, and things sliding. And he's come out and he's basically said, listen, I'm going to break the back of inflation. I'm going to do this. and We're going to stop the manipulation of the central bank. He's even goes so far to say that in a pinch, he would petition for the U.S. dollar to be the currency. Yep. To, to, and by the way, that's not unusual. There are, there are dollar proxies all around the world. And... I, I think he has spoken up for what exactly what the people wanted, and he's saying we're going to pay for it by closing government offices that are what does he call it the decadence of of um, Argentina. That um, meaning when he says decadent, he's been talking about all the excessive spending on the backs of people. And guess what? Folks have had enough, and against a clear backdrop, they voted him in, and he is yeah. sticking sticking to it. Um, about not having a central bank that kowtows to other countries or that is manipulating the currency. I'll say this. I've, I've spent much of the last six months living in Hungary, making our, our show The Pendragon Cycle. Uh, and it's been a remarkable experience. You're in, you're in a country that is pushing back against the sort of in vogue excesses of liberalism. You're in a country that is re, uh, refacing sort of uh, uh, modernist, uh, brutalist architecture from the Soviet Union or or even corporatist architecture with facades to make it feel at home in the sort of Victorian era, 18th, 1800s era uh, style of the city. They're, they're positively affirming their Christianity. They're positively affirming their history. They're positively affirming uh, their, uh, their values. And it's refreshing because my entire life we've been apologizing for our values. My entire life we've been saying that there is no value in the past. My entire life we've been saying that the only future is a future that is sort of culturally neutral. And that is a great failed experiment. So my, my great hope is that these movements that are happening uh, in, in Argentina, in Poland, in, in Hungary, and uh, perhaps now in Ireland and elsewhere, my, my great hope is that while mistakes are going to be made, while there's going to be fumbles, while people are going to take the wrong step, the the, diag- the, the, prog- the prescription will not always be right, that we find our way back uh, to a world where we can all have pride in, in the best parts of our culture and build a better future. You know, there, there's a tendency in conservatism to be very pessimistic, to think that all the best days are behind. I don't think our, that the best days of the world are behind. I hope not, because Every day in the past had huge problems. I think that as an entrepreneur, our job is to find problems and solve them. You don't do that, as I said at the beginning, you don't do that by throwing out your tradition. You do it by taking everything that was great, using that as a firm foundation, and attacking problems uh, in a way that incentivizes success. And so, you know, my, my time in, in Hungary has, has uh, really helped to clarify for me what I think is a good pathway forward. Again, not a complete 
recommendation of their political path, which I which I think in some ways is fraught. But so is our political path fraught, and so we we have to we have to find that better way forward. And one great way to do it that you're seeing happen down in Argentina is by actually bringing back economic incentive. And one of the great every problem we've talked about today is a place where we have divorced the success of a movement, the success of a philosophy, the success of a company from actual economic incentives, from actually having to serve the needs that actually exist in the marketplace. And that's a, you know, it's not the only answer, but it's an, it's an incredible part of the answer. Well, you got to give uh, Miele uh, credit, Miele credit because uh, even uh, just for the short stint that people have been following him, he's also teaching people Spanish. Now everybody knows what afuera means. It means out. So afuera, you know, he's a legendary teacher from Argentina, now the leader and uh, is up to a bunch of different crazy things. Jeremy, it's been great having you on. Rob, can we make sure we put the link again below for people to go Lady watch Ball. Lady Ballers? This is going to premiere this Friday, December 1st on Daily Wire uh, Plus. You can watch it. Can you buy the movie or do you have to subscribe to watch the movie? How does that work? Subscribers only out of the gate. Okay, there you go. So subscribers out of the gate. Put the link below. Go subscribe. Support the organization Lady Ballers. And uh, CEO of Daily Wire, Jeremy Bourne. Great having you on, man. This was great. Yeah, thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye.